Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. Uh, why don't you grab your Bibles out this morning when I turn to Matthew. So a few weeks ago, um, Josh uh, was preaching out of Matthew 16, and I'm going to carry on a little bit from there this morning. And we're going to start in verse 21. And it starts with from that time. And it actually starts from that time of where uh, Josh was preaching out of, that time when Jesus asked his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers and says that you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. On this rock, I will build my church. And then it goes on back in 21 and it says, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offence to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is a turning point in Jesus' walk with his disciples. In this moment... Their eyes were fully open. In this moment, they got to understand who it was that they were following, who it was that they were walking with. And obviously, Jesus, over the time of walking with his disciples, actually had to tell them this a number of times. I will be crucified and I will raise again in three days. It's, it's almost as if the, the shock of this couldn't be fully comprehended. Can't even imagine being in that moment and Jesus saying those words to you. So you can kind of understand Peter's reaction in that. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. I mean, seriously, Peter is rebuking, reprimanding Jesus? Gutsy guy, gutsy move, yes. You know, in that moment, Lord, this can't possibly happen. And it's only in a number of verses that Peter went from that, who do you say that I am? You are Christ, the son of the living God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God. You did not know this. It was God in you that knew this. To then in this moment going, this is not happening. There's no way that you're, you're facing through this. 
and how quickly we can go from hearing the voice of God in one moment to then not just not hearing his voice, but actually hearing the wrong voice in our head. This revelation goes completely against everything that the Jews believed that would be the case of the coming Messiah. You know, this was a moment in time that they had grown up hearing about the saviour that would come, the king that would come and sit on the throne to liberate them, that they would be set free. So now you're telling me that you're dying? But hang on a minute, you haven't sat on the throne. You haven't liberated us. Like this can't be the case. This can't be right. For you to experience this, it must be wrong. How often have we cared more about our friend's comfort than their character or the state of their soul? Peter's going, no, this this can't be right. You can't suffer. You've obviously got something wrong here, Jesus. You've heard wrong. Because this, this can't be how this plays out. You're wrong. How many times have we, in those moments of, of watching those ones closest to us suffer, stand on that side and go, yeah, it must be wrong. Can't, can't possibly, suffering cannot possibly be right. This cannot possibly be God. He then turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offence to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Imagine hearing those words. Going from that moment of, on this rock, I will build my church, to get behind me, Satan. You haven't tapped into the things of God in this moment, but the things of man. Jesus was very aware in this moment that his fight wasn't against flesh and blood. It wasn't against Peter standing in front of him, but it was against principalities and powers. Because he's actually only just gone three rounds with Satan in the desert, hadn't he? And if you remember earlier on in Matthew, when Satan comes and tempts him in the desert, he says to Satan, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is where having that discernment of the Holy Spirit in those moments, knowing what we're fighting Are we fighting the flesh? Are we fighting the world? Or are we fighting the devil? And in that moment, Peter got a little bit confused. But Jesus knew exactly what was standing before him. Jesus knew exactly what had come in and was trying to tempt him in that moment. In that moment, Peter stepped out of the revelation of God that he was in not that long ago. And he became mindful of the things of man. 
but you need to become king. You need to take away this discomfort. You need to take away my discomfort. And Jesus says, you're an offence to me. A trap stick, a bent sapling, a movable stick with bait used to catch animals, a snare or a stumbling block, that which causes error or sin. Nice try. But I see this. I see this moment and I see what you're trying to do. Unknowingly, Peter was trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross. The exact thing that the enemy had tried to stop in the desert. Let me make you Lord and Master. Let me elevate you. You don't need to go down this path. It can't be right. And he says, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The things of men, avoiding pain at all cost. The things of God, entering into the pain and finding him in that place. When we take our eyes off God and place them on the things of men, then that's when we allow the enemy to creep in. That's when in that moment we stop hearing the voice of the Spirit who says, this is Christ, the Son of the living God. And instead we hear this little voice over here that says, can't be right. You suffering can't be right. It's said that this current generation, Gen Z, are experiencing the greatest decline in mental health. And in hand-to-hand with that, the greatest decline in spiritual health. They're more anxious, more depressed, and less Christian than ever before. Clearly, I'm just generalising here. I was skimming a book recently that was called Coddling of the American Mind. And it was talking about the three great untruths believed by this current generation. And they are, you must strive to avoid bad experiences at all costs. You must always trust your emotions over reason. The world is a black and white battle between good people and bad people. There is no middle ground. Scary, hey? Scary to grow up in this belief. But when you start thinking about it, you actually see it everywhere. You probably even see it in yourself. I was reading an a article yesterday that somebody had written about the upcoming um, referendum. And they were basically in this article stating that if you vote a particular way, this is what you are stating. And I'm voting that particular way and I'm thinking, that's not what I'm stating. Hang on a minute. This is not black and white here because you believe that that's what I'm stating but I actually firmly do believe that by voting that, this is actually what I'm stating. There is no black and white here. 
The book went on to say these beliefs insulate students from ideas which we, with which they disagree or are deeply dangerous to free expression and are harmful for students' emotional development. By succumbing to their own sense of fragility and wrapping themselves in a cloak of victimhood, young people today are developing cognitive patterns similar to those of people suffering from anxiety and depression. Ultimately, young people must develop the skills and fortitude to feel empowered. Being exposed to controversial ideas and unpleasant experiences is a vital part of human development. The key is not to crumple and retreat into learned helplessness in the face of adversity, but rather to overcome it and emerge better and stronger. The challenge is the untruth of fragility says that what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. It's not an opportunity for growth, but an opportunity for harm. And the last three decades of parents, we have been more aware of danger out there and we've been more willing to protect children from that danger. So their children have grown up less exposed to risk, less exposed to harm. This results in an expectation of safety and comfort. If you're experiencing pain or adversity, you must be doing something wrong. And don't you just see it everywhere? I remember, I think it was last term, um, Arabella, um, one day at school, was library day and, you know, trying to teach her to be responsible for herself. Anyway, at the end of that day, she says, Mum, I forgot my library bag today, but I remembered my library book. But the teacher gave me lines for forgetting my library bag. And I'm thinking, lines? Is that still a thing? Like, that was a thing in my day. Does anyone else get lines? I've got plenty of lines. And in my head, I'm thinking, mm, you know, a bit harsh. Like, she had her library book, so she forgot her library bag. But to Arabella, I'm saying, well, that's the teacher. That's the teacher's rules. You forgot your library bag, and that was the consequences for it. We chatted through it, because obviously she wasn't very happy. She missed out on playtime because she had to write lines. The next morning, I'm walking her to her class and a mum comes up to me and goes, did you hear what happened to the girls? I was like, no, what happened? They got lines. I was like, oh, that. She's like, I'm here to have a meeting with the teacher. That's just not on. Wow, okay. I must admit there was a look of shock on my face as I go, okay, I have to go now. I'm just, I can't help but think ahead. I can't help but think ahead of the situations that really do matter. I can't help but feel for that poor teacher who's probably roped over the coals each and every day for the decisions that they're making for those students. But, you know, silly little example, but is that not the society that we are living in? Is that not what we're getting to? And, and as a parent each and every day, I think we have these constant opportunities to go, am I jumping in here? Am I fighting here? Am I protecting my child from this? Because who knows that when you're walking with your children, you are triggered every day. 
couple of weeks ago, Arabella was bullied for a week of school and had no friends. I'm completely triggered. That's it. I want to take you out of school. I'm going to homeschool you. Like, not only that, but I want to get these girls and grab them by the neck and push them up against the wall and tell them something. (sighs) But I'm not allowed. And I'll probably end up in jail if I do that. But we wrestle these things every day, don't we? Because the brokenness inside of me is being completely triggered and all I want to do is protect my child. Challenge is one day, I'm not going to be here to protect her. She's not going to want my protection. She's going to have to walk through stuff And I was having a beautiful conversation with somebody yesterday that, you know, as they're going into the teenage years, she says, you know, I'm so grateful for the work that we did in the earlier days because I have a confidence now. Not that it's going to be easy, but I have a confidence in the foundation that I've built, in the truths that I've actually instilled into my child. And isn't that what we want in those moments? The challenge is reality soon hits our expectation of comfort and we respond with anxiety or depression or anger and retaliation. People hurt our feelings. Relationships end, bosses require too much, things don't go as planned and so on and so forth. The options are control, despair or rewrite the story. How do we rewrite the story? Verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus in this moment is saying, Not only... Do I have to do this? But if you want to follow me, then you have to do this. But how do we do this in our selfie culture? We deny self when we surrender our lives to him and then a daily dying of self. Denying one's authority over one's own life. I remember listening to a um, John Bevere preach one day and, and uh, couldn't quite figure out why people used to call him John Severe until I listened to this preach because it's never left me. And I probably listened to it probably 15 or 20 years ago. And I remember him saying in this message, he said, most people will stand on this platform. And, you know, there's people who, who need to know Jesus and know the gospel story. And he says, we preach a gospel story that says, come to Jesus and get instead of come to Jesus and die. Wow, how popular is that going to be? But I thought, isn't that so true? Again, what are we teaching? What are we we setting you up for when when you believe that when you come to Jesus, all of your problems are going to leave? That if you're facing adversity, clearly something is wrong because that's not a life lived with Jesus. 
Instead, the only thing he actually promises us is that you die and that you get to die again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Paul says in Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross is a choice, something we pick up willingly to follow him, saying, this is my cross to bear, is not picking up your cross. It's not just acknowledging that I have certain things that I have to suffer with, picking up My cross is actually something that I want to do each and every day because I want to follow him. I choose to bear this cross. Spurgeon says, There are no crown wearers in heaven that were not cross bearers here below. MacArthur writes, This passage sets forth the heart of Christian discipleship and it strikes a death blow to the self-centred false gospel that are so popular in contemporary Christianity. It leaves no room for the gospel of getting in which God is considered a type of utilitarian genie who jumps to provide a a believer's every whim. It closes the door to the gospel of health and wealth, which asserts that if a believer is not healthy and prosperous, he has simply not exercised his divine rights or else does not have enough faith to claim his blessings. It undermines the gospel of self-esteem, self-love and high self-image, which appeals to man's natural narcissism and prostitutes the spirit of humble Pardon? brokenness yeah, yeah, and now. repentance I play, that like marks the gospel of the cross. Oh, hey, Ouch. He says, follow me. He says, walk with me. Come on this journey with me. Come beside me and let us walk together. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. No wonder we get in so much strife when we're not mindful of the things of God. Instead, turning our attention to the things of man. His ways are not our ways. In fact, they're polar opposite. But when we get to a place where we condense our faith and our beliefs to what fits within our realm of understanding, then we've taken our eyes off him and we've placed them on man. Dying's hard. Dying to self is hard, isn't it? It's not self-denial. It's laying down my desires. 
It's laying down my thoughts, my ways of doing things. It's declaring that I don't know best, that I haven't got it figured out, that I'm not in control. We come to Jesus and we die. And that's only possible by the power of His Spirit. Because who knows that the will to live, the flesh, is strong. And we will fight tooth and nail to live in the flesh, to have our desires. Aren't you so glad that Peter didn't succeed in derailing Jesus in that moment? That Satan didn't win in the desert that he was strong enough to look beyond this moment of suffering, to see the cross and you and I standing on the other side. The question is for you and I, is can we look past this moment of suffering, this life of suffering? with our eyes fixed on eternity. Can you pick up your cross? Can you deny self? Can you choose today to die and every day after this to lay your life down? When the world says, no, that can't be right, you must have it wrong, you must be doing something wrong. Can you choose to stand in those moments and say no? This is the will of my Father. My Father knows more than this moment. And my Father strengthens me in this moment. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching, that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.